Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Blackmagic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey everyone, welcome to the 241st episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by the one and only, and there's definitely nobody else with remotely close name to this person, Anthony Yacenda. Thanks, Anthony. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got the duo behind the hit film, Palm Springs. Max Barbaco and Andy Sierra, they worked on the screenplay together and one of them directed it, but I bet the other one had a lot of influence on that as well. Yeah, it's the writer-director team behind Palm Springs, the hit film we all watched during quarantine on Hulu. Yeah, do you think I was a little too nice to them about Palm Springs? I sure told them how much I love their movie a lot. You know, uh yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was going to I was going to bring that up to you. Well, I really yeah, we it, get it. It's a good movie. But it also like kind of came out of nowhere, you know? It's like, oh, it's an Andy Samberg comedy. It's, you know, time loop. You kind of feel like you know what you're in for and then you watch it and you're like, not that all of those people aren't usually great, but you just kind of expect dumb jokes. And it's, it's smarter really smart. than it had to be, than it needed to be. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. look at like Popstar or sure. um, what's Whoa, the one where they're careful. like on the... I no, freaking love Popstar. I know you do. That's I what I'm saying. It. That It's not that their other movies aren't good, McGruber, but they are maybe you're thinking of. the type of comedy is different. What's the one where it's like they're like BMX or like scooter mm, hot, racers? Hot Rod. Hot Rod, yeah. And you're like, you know, it's a, it's a certain type of movie. It's like, I mean, those are the movies I like, loved growing up. It's like Top Secret and like Hot Shots and stuff. <laughs> I'm a part deux man myself, but you know. Uh, oui. Uh, je compris. <laughs> I don't know why we had to switch to French uh, for our podcast, but I guess well, we are going international recently. That's right. That's right. A lot well, of yeah, Canadians we, listen. It was a real treat to talk to two filmmakers who have a really interesting story and and talk a lot about what it took to take the seed of an idea and turn it into a a hit movie that sold for a bunch of money at Sundance and everybody loved. And, you know, totally down to earth, relatable guys. I think there's a lot of insight about uh, what it is to be a working screenwriter and a working director, just like always. This is, that's the dish we're serving up to our listeners time and again. Yeah. I love hearing how they really didn't know Andy Samberg or anything like they didn't really have any connections and they were just going to make this movie themselves and they kind of happened upon people really liking their script and that the movie being bigger than they thought it would be so I think it's 
it's something a lot of us hope for and uh, many of us don't get, but it, but it does happen uh, occasionally. So it's great to hear of a time it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I think that there there's a lot of instances where like you, you look at that fairy tale meteoric rise and you think to yourself, well, they've got to have something going on that I don't know about. There's something under the hood that they're not telling us. And then, you know, you realize like, oh, wait a minute, they're actually the son of a Yeah, we well, you know Max's or, dad is Tom Hanks, right? Did we talk about that during the interview? Uh, we didn't talk about that, but um, that checks out. Yeah, that checks out. No, no, I think uh, none of that is the case with these guys, which I think is really interesting and refreshing and, like I said, relatable. So I can't wait to have that conversation with Max and Andy and some good, uh, you know, embarrassing uh, celebrity run-in stories as well, all in store for you. But Matt, before we talk to them, I just have a very quick question for you. What have you been working on lately? Well, Oren, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, so I'm up for uh, a, a couple commercials, like we've been talking about. Commercials are back in a big way, baby. I'm very excited about it. And in looking at boards, you know, like the scripts and also kind of the profile of what they want the commercial to be, it brought up a, a question I had for you, Oren. I wanted to know, have you ever gotten boards where you don't get it, where you don't get the joke, or you don't, not just don't think it's funny, which is a separate thing we can talk about. We've all had boards that are, are really hard to deal with, but like ones where like you're not sure that you understand what problem they're trying to solve or or what the joke is. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. So obviously as commercial directors, because we are directing other people's stuff and a lot of the writing that we are getting is not written by like screenwriters per se. It's written by marketing people and filtered by copywriters and creative directors and stuff. So I've gotten many scripts where I'm like, I don't get, yeah, why this is funny. Or sometimes I'll see language or like dialogue that I, that feels very stilted to me. Like I don't understand why someone would say this in this way, you know? And a lot of times there's some legal reason or something, but uh, I have a feeling you have a more extreme, more interesting version of this issue right well, now. Well, I do have one that was very funny and very bizarre, and I, I think I can talk about it because people blogged about it a little bit. But I did some spots that I, I, I still really like, and every once in a while will still use on my reel for a product that was a like a dry deodorant. And the problem that we were trying to solve or to illustrate the solution to a problem was if deodorant when you put it on it's wet and then that's the problem you want deodorant that when you put it on is dry immediately well i i guess you're saying that in your facial expressions that i'm seeing over our zoom call are implying that that is a ridiculous thing to want but don't you not want your shirt to get wet from your deodorant yeah that's true and maybe we should do some sketches where a famous comedian smears wet deodorant on their hands and then shakes people's hands and then says, oh, that's disgusting, and then says, hold on a second, and then sprays his other hand with the dry deodorant. And then oh, it's a spray hand. deodorant. I missed it's that. Spray part. deodorant. Y- you know, look, he- the thing is... I is feel like, like that's probably I bad for your hands, right? <laughs> objectively, I guess I would prefer my deodorant to be dry upon application than wet because yeah i maybe don't want to put stains on my shirt or something like that but i've never had that thought 
right? And that is the nature of advertising is to be like, hey, here's a problem you didn't know you have that we're fixing for you. Right. And then you go buy the thing. Yeah. That's, that's it, right? Like recently so I saw a inherently... commercial where they're like, by the way, your uh, iPhone 11 Pro, it's a piece of shit. You need this iPhone mm-hmm. 12 Pro. You're like, uh, you're right. Boy, those iPhone commercials, they always work on me. Um, so, so look, that means that like comedy is about having a sense of understanding and then that understanding being subverted in some way or surprised in some way. Right. But so that, that's at odds with the idea of informing someone of a problem they didn't know they existed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess I'm just kind of trying to think forward to the next logical question, which is what do you do in this situation as a director? And I do believe that the term sellout is probably reserved for this type of thing that you do, which is you just convince yourself that, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) And then you just pitch the hell out of it. And then when they tell you, when they read the script to you on the call with the agency, you're like, yeah, it's so funny. I never thought about that, but it's totally true. And it's hilarious. And here's like some other funny thing we can do on top of it. Yeah. I really love the other spots you guys did too. Um, yeah, I I would say so the the thing that I'm dealing with now is that I think that there there's stuff that like doesn't make sense because it's maybe like you need a little bit of clarity on the these next spots. I think that someone will have to explain them to me in order for me to really understand what's what's happening. Well, let me exactly. ask you this crazy question: Is there ever a time to like turn it down because you just don't get it? Yeah, or or just to be like, hey. I don't know that I'm the right person for the job. Yeah, I think that there's a world where that makes sense based off of the year everyone's having. I don't think anyone's like chomping at the bit to to turn down work. Yeah. So I'll wait a beat and make sure that I get some clarity and maybe there's a someone can tur- turn that light switch on for me. But it, it did make me chuckle to, to look through very thoroughly documented, you know, a 30 page deck and to be like, oh, I just this is um, am I looking at this upside down? I don't know what's going on right and i don't know if i'm allowed to say this so edit it out if i'm not but i did look at one of these befuddling spots that you are considering pitching on and uh you and i both sat there staring at the copy trying to figure out what it means and i felt like you were very optimistic you're like yeah i kind of get that i kind of get that but then there's just a few lines that are just so confusing. Just just don't you well and the thing is also like I've seen a lot of commercials. So you get most of it. Right? We're talking about, you know, 15 shots maybe. And so like one of those shots is going to be of the product and one of those sh- you know we're going to have a master shot of the characters together and it, like the mechanics it's somewhere in between there it's confusing but look i think that there's probably some of our very favorite advertising i think you you read that first old spice spot and you're if it's not clearly articulated to you if you're just lead, reading copy on a page do you get why that's funny maybe Maybe if it's if it's written in the right way and they do a good job of really evoking the the tone in the copy. But I think to your point, screenwriters, that's their whole vocation is is getting character and atmosphere and tone across economically. And people in advertising have so many additional jobs on top of that. And so it could just be that like they know that they're 
going to have a pitch deck and uh, animatics and have conversations with people and that like it's okay if the script is a little anemic. Yeah, that's the life we live in. I'll let you know how it goes. And if I ever figure out, I would love to direct the spot and literally just be bluffing my way just through. Just not know. That's the whole like thing. A, just not know what's going on. What's that Woody Allen movie where he's like blind? He gets a directing job and he gets like psychosomatic blindness because <laughs> he's like uh, so, <laughs> so nervous or anxious about it. Deconstructing Harry. Yeah. But yeah, the this one, Woody Allen is like, He's this kind of washed out director. He hasn't directed anything forever. And finally he like pitches a movie or something. He gets this giant directing studio directing gig. And it's so it fills him with so much anxiety that he gets psychosomatic blindness. And now he has to make his comeback directing this movie blind. And I think his assistant director like doesn't really speak English. <laughs> He's like constantly not looking towards the set. So he has like one person that's like, no, look, turn, turn your body that way. <laughs> anyway, it's, very hilarious idea. Uh, as with all Woody Allen movies, it's like kind of half-acidly <laughs> executed. But um, yeah, the, not not enough follow through. Yeah, um, but yeah. Anyhow, well, um, before we talk to Max and Andy, I just want to tell a quick side story about one of our listeners, Justin Jacola. He's a longtime listener to the podcast. He even met up with Matt and me before uh, we were all death deathly afraid of being close to each other. Uh, when he came to visit LA and he made a movie called Hunter's Creed that we're going to plug because he's been telling us about it. It's been kind of a long journey for him. He made it a while ago and it ha- actually has stars Dog the Bounty Hunter. And it's a kind of interesting story because he made the whole movie, I think, originally without Dog. And then as he was finding distribution and kind of figuring out what people were looking for, he found a way to like weave in this really interesting side story uh, with a recognizable person like Dog's Bounty Hunter to make his movie uh, like super marketable and to get distribution and everything. And it, it's pretty awesome. So congrats, Justin. It's called Hunter's Creed. You can get it everywhere, Walmart, Amazon, Apple TV, Prime Video. Um, and you could just uh, Google the movie Hunter's Creed to see the trailer and check it out. So thanks, Justin, for sending that to yeah, us man. and for meeting up with us congrats. and for listening to the podcast. And uh Yeah. Everyone else, feel free to let us know what you're up to. It's fun to see our listeners, you know, making a lot of cool stuff. Flourish. Yeah. And if you get a little bit out of this show, you want to drop us a buck or two and we can't meet up for coffee, uh, patreon.com slash justshootitpod is a great place to show your appreciation. Uh, Things have been going super well, and I've got a big announcement to make, actually. I noticed that hats were actually, like, the most popular thing on on our patreon and i thought to myself well what's a thing that we could do that would be kind of in line with that and uh we've always been selling these t-shirts on t public our just shoot it t-shirts i thought well let's make them a patreon perk so now for the 20 dollar level you get yourself a free just shoot it t-shirt awesome make sure to tell us your size right how does that work we'll have information on how to get you your t-shirt at patreon.com slash just shoot it pod 20 bucks a month gets you a t-shirt and just like with everything even if you only pay for one month we will send it to you cool okay now let's talk to the gentleman that invented palm springs the movie (laughs) 
Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. Congrats, mayor slash filmmaker of <laughs> pretty much the blockbuster of the summer, right? Is that is that how you guys would identify it? No, I mean, it's all I'm, I feel like I'm still kind of reconciling or not reconciling, but processing what it, it is even <laughs> because it's very surreal but we'll take that that sounds cool it helps when every other every other blockbuster or movie that was supposed to come out this summer moves off your date so <laughs> we'll take it by default i guess we did have the guys who uh, made that movie the wretched and they had like ended up having this huge success at drive-ins because they had they inadvertently made an incredible drive-in movie you know it's like summer vibes and like a horror movie it was like perfect for a drive-in and so they were the number they one movie the number in the box movie. office for like three weekends in a row. And we it was were, like, a, we yeah, were hoping we would, we would, and like this summer, all the movies, maybe it's still the case at drive-ins were, you know, all of Spielberg's movies and like just these classic all-time films that you would see the box office rankings after, you know, the weekend. And we were just so hoping to maybe just like nudge ahead of like both Jurassic Park and E.T. one weekend and just like snapshot that on your on your smartphone and have that forever and frame it but i don't i don't think we made we made it there unfortunately well if it makes you feel better i watched your movie and neither i don't think i watched any spielberg stuff all year so there you go f that guy yeah forget him what does he know about anything (laughs) um but also your movie came out on hulu right so yeah 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 yeah. it seems kind of hard to convince yourself to go to the movie theater when you can just be like hey covid couch hulu let's watch this thing I was excited. I think we all were excited for that theatrical drop. But, um, you know, we shot the movie with these anamorphic lenses and, and had, a, had a nice mix going into Sundance and some needle drops in there, obviously. And it, and it played great, you know, like the five times that we got to see it in Utah. So and Neon was going to do a, a theatrical release. But the cool thing about the deal we got there was that it was always going to live on Hulu. You know, that part was all settled. So it it was this very forward thinking distribution deal when we got acquired. And so it was very easy to kind of like call that audible when COVID hit. And it became very clear that like no one felt good about being maybe one of the first movies to maybe conceivably try to be in theaters and neon did a great job too. And we got to go to drive-ins, which like, you know, at the end of the day, all you really want is some sort of, attempt at a cultural ripple outside just dropping it on a streamer so like it in a way it kind of made it even more special getting to play these drive-ins i haven't been to a drive-in in years it was really fun to go see that and then like not really 
even be able to tell how the movie was playing other than, you know, maybe some honks at the end and peering into people's cars as they were leaving and seeing if they were smiling or like, you know, upset oh, or Matt, vomiting. Matt and I were doing whatever. donuts. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing donuts in the parking lot. Don't worry. There we go. There yeah, I was go. like, who's uh, that dude looking into my rear view window? Like, what's going on? I had on? an inflatable uh, pool toy on, on the roof of my car. No, but seriously, I feel like, I honestly don't know much about the driving stuff. I obviously, as a filmmaker, I get like wanting to see your movie on the big screen, but I find it like so much more rewarding to have everyone knows about your movie. I mean, I've had like random people saying like, dude, have you seen this movie Palm Springs? It's actually pretty good. I feel like when it first <laughs> like, dropped, actually, we had multiple people make it their unpaid endorsement. That's cool. That's super cool. And um, like the ending, cool. you know, everything. It's just, I, I'm, my guess is most people listening to this podcast have seen your movie, which is not always true of when we have filmmakers on. So it's pretty awesome. But yeah, I made this movie once and it was on Netflix for like five years, I think. And everyone was watching it all the time. And then as soon as it was off Netflix, people were like, how can I see your movie? And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know. I guess you could buy a DVD or something. But it's to me, the theatrical experience and all that other stuff and the Blu-rays and the DVDs, they're great. But like, if you want if to people to see your movie and you're on a streamer, it's just, it's awesome. And especially when you have like a movie like yours and, you know, I know Andy might join us soon, but like your movie is... It is like a Groundhog Day genre type of movie, and you guys just like totally reinvented it. Which I'm sure, I'm sure you got a lot of kickback against making that type of movie before you made the movie. Is that true? Well, it just—it's not a thing that is very compelling. I think synopsis-wise, or even when you're like in person, you could talk about it. You could go in and you could pitch it, and like that's the experience we had with the lonely island and, and with sandberg is that you talk you know you, they had read the script it was already done so then it was just about going in and, and and then they saw how it was taking kind of continuing on where groundhog day ended right um we like to think of this movie as kind of like a spiritual sequel to that but also like a sequel to the movie that would have been the groundhog day style palm springs that doesn't even exist you know you're you're, you're picking that like niles has figured out kind of in his own skewed way, the meaning of life and nothing is, nothing is really fixed. He just kind of copes. Um, so it, yeah, it's definitely hard to pitch. There's tons of time loop movies, right? And we, I think it helped that we, we weren't thinking about really pitching it from the get-go. We were thinking about going to like create something and make something. It was started as this idea of like a um, very contained two-hander of a movie eight maybe even just like you know the character of niles set out in the desert in palm springs around some sort of isolated estate there's our version of like a weird mumblecore existential comedy movie and then just through the process of working on the script and digging and creating these characters it became this time loop movie so we never Wait, so it wasn't a time loop originally it was no it wasn't it was like this it was kind of this character study of a jaded hipster dude who goes to the desert to die. It was like, like an existentialist kind of yeah, Albert Camus like story. Yeah, exactly, man. It, it started, it started like, you know, as a, we said this, like an absurd version of kind of leaving Las Vegas that was all structured on like Jungian archetypes and all that shit that was not very compelling when you, uh, <laughs> when you're reading a script. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the actual pitch specifically with the Lonely Island guys. Did you have relationships with them beforehand? Were you coming in cold? Because you're, you're right. It is something that, 
you know, done to death maybe is like the most pessimistic way of seeing it, but it is a familiar concept. So how do you stand out to to producers and how do you stand out to investors to get the movie made? From the very beginning, from this kind of lost weekend that Max and I had, when we came out of that weekend with, we just, we knew we wanted a character, we wanted to take a character from caring about nothing in the world to finding purpose and caring, find like going just, I know it was like a simple, that simple kind of journey. And then this, then the time loop part of it kind of came on as like the perfect way to torture that character in a way. What, what, what would be that, that person's hell? Uh, put him at a, at a desert wedding where everyone cares about everything almost too much um, and make him live that day over and over again. It's worth mentioning that both Oren and I got married in Palm Springs. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So did I. So did so I. Separate people. Oh, really? Yeah. Ace Hotel. No, I, I was at the, the Korea State. Te- technically, it's in a it's in Cathedral City, but oh sure, you sure, couldn't sure. tell from the photos. Yeah, so. o- O'Donnell House, uh, which yeah. is right above the museum. Yeah. We're comparing yeah. venues. But uh, but uh, you know, it was it was it was three <laughs> years of, of no one giving a shit about this movie except for me and Max, and it was just this thing, this total passion project that we were gonna do our best to get off the ground. Was there like a number and amount of money that you guys thought if you raised you could go shoot it for? like oh, let's aim for 50,000 or 100,000 uh we didn't know we didn't have a way to raise that money but we're like that's cheap maybe if it's good enough we can find someone to do that and then i think the other aspect of this movie was that he and i were like let's just put everything we ever want to see in a movie into this movie and it, it just happens to be that like our our tastes range from and like the the the, the pool of of references that we're like kind of drawing from it goes it goes from a Rachel getting married, kind of like, you know, indie, more mumblecore-y kind of thing, all the way up to, you know, Dumb and Dumber in Jurassic Park uh, and Boogie Nights and Punch Drunk Love. So it's like everything in, in between. So therefore, we were throwing everything at, at this movie. And because of that, uh, that 50000 or $100,000 uh, number, three years later when the script was uh, kind of ready to go, I mean, it wasn't like a super expensive movie, but it was much larger than that. And then you have this kind of this can kind of lead into the next the, that question the original question but it was just us and no one gave a shit about us and now we have more maybe we could have got fifty thousand or thousand dollars but now it's a it's a lot more than that so who's going to give us permission to do that and that's where like we got a lot a lot of places we're like yeah you know first time filmmakers whatever or we already have. Uh, 10 wedding rom-com time loop movies in development. So just people not even reading it. And then I have some, just some, uh, it's a, a good manager that they, he just got it up to Sandberg's people. Um, and so the script was like, you know, with the exception of some like third act stuff, like the core of the script was already there and done when it got to Andy and um, the Lonely Islands. When we went in there, it wasn't so much about pitching the time loop or anything like that. Like, it was that first meeting was really like Max and I made this thing together. Um, we, we built this world together. Now it, it was more of Max needing to sell himself in a way. So Max can talk, yeah. talk to that. Yeah. So. That was the only question mark. It was like, who, who the fuck is this? Yeah. We love the script. They're like, we love, we love Andy. He's just really likable, but this Max guy <laughs> got the AirPods in the glasses. I don't know. <laughs> A little weird. I also remember that that meeting. It was everyone was great. I mean, it was that meeting could not have gone better. Even though it was kind of a blur, um, we just connected in a in a real creative way. But I do remember like Akiva uh, was like sitting across from me, just like drinking a smoothie the whole time, like uh, just kind of 
just kind of staring <laughs> like very very uh ominously i was like oh shit is i don't i don't know how this is going but and you um, had no relationship no, with were, them beforehand no we didn't you know well andy had met sandberg in the bathroom like five minutes before nope, the meeting that, that's always um, the best and, and, and not, nothing had been you said both had your andy day, name but, tags on <laughs> it was it was it was so terrible because i, I was like I was already nervous going there and we hadn't met with any actors at all for this movie. It was like we were meeting with some financiers and then we didn't know that it was even sent to Andy until I got a, we got a call that's like, hey, uh, yeah, so Andy Samberg wants to meet about starring in it. And we're like, oh, shit, okay. So we this was we were very excited about this. And so I got there like five minutes early. Max wasn't there yet. And the, the, I didn't want to go into like a little waiting room in their office so I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna kill some time in the bathroom, which is what you do. It's like I'm just gonna go take a really long pee and just wash my hands for a while. And then sure enough, like in that time, Andy walked in there and he's, you know, I'm just <laughs> taking my time washing my hands. He's, he just says, you know, he says, what's up? And I didn't want to say that like I'm the guy that you're supposed to be meeting right now, so I didn't say it. So I just said, you know, I d- gave the the cool, the cool nod, the cool dude nod, and then. Five minutes later, he's like, "Oh, we, we actually we already met in the bathroom," and it's, I I still feel really. There, I have a there's something about like, ba- bathrooms where like my I used to be in a band, and I remember I I, I was in like the or backstage at a festival, and I had the same kind of interaction with Dave Navarro, um, and then same thing at a an office that I worked for when I was working on the show Lodge Forty Nine, and, and uh, the the writers' room was in Santa Monica. And the same bathroom kind of interaction happened with uh, Larry David and Noah Hawley. And it's just, I, I don't know what to say to people. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to do the small talk in the bathroom. But this was the first time that I've actually had to, like, continue on to the next scene after the bathroom. He's like, oh, I remember you, dude, from the bathroom. I actually feel like you couldn't have a better, like, kind of celebrity bathroom opportunity than someone that you know that you're about to meet. Uh, I would say the opposite. You gotta, you That's gotta the worst. Got to carry Yeah, there you go. You. There you go. At all no, but you could be like, "Oh, you're Andy. I am. I'm about to meet with you. Like, thanks for having if us. You, I don't know. If you play, cool. that was a long pee. Yeah, yeah. That's also Very part impressive. of the. That was also part of the problem. Is that I didn't want to say that. Like, first, I didn't know if he would. He put it together that like I'm the guy on the script that we we're meeting with, but also like I can't. I didn't want to say like, "Hey, I'm I'm Andy," because then he might be thinking <laughs> he might be thinking I'm making a, some kind of joke about him. Right. Too. Right. Uh, yeah. It doesn't dude, help. I had that happen. I did this video where it was like all these like Sarah Silverman was in and Jack Black and all these other people. And there was this guy named Paul. Uh, he wrote that movie about um, a bachelorette party. Oh, Paul Downs. Paul Downs. Downs. Yeah. But I, I didn't really yeah. I wasn't really familiar with him at all. For some reason, I just got like so nervous when I met him that I was like, hey, I'm Paul. <laughs> Like an idiot. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. It's just like my brain like short circuited. And then he was like, uh, is that, are you joking? And I was like, no, I'm sorry. My name is Oren. I don't know why I said that. And the whole thing was awkward. And, you know, it's like one of these videos where you get every celebrity for like 20 minutes. So I never really had time to win him over again. I just knew it was like just down, just, just live in the downhill and well, just be fine with it. I want to go back a little bit, actually, uh, to, you know, we were talking about or we were joking about, you know, the idea of like, oh, these producers really loving a script, right? And then they look to the director who's attached and they say, oh, like, who is this guy, right? And obviously Lonely Island, they have plenty of like directing auspices, not just between the three of them, but also like they've got uh, a handful of other projects with directors that they already have great relationships with and love. And, you know, it is kind of that a story that you hear sometimes of like a hot script selling and then you know, originally you make it as a mumblecore movie, but then it gets a lot of heat and all of a sudden, 
you have to make the decision like, oh, am I going to be the person who directs this, which was the original plan, or do I sell it? And maybe then a bigger movie star gets to be in it. And then, you know, everybody's dreams comes true. So, so Max, I want to talk a little bit about like, what did you do to sell yourself? Like what, tell us a little bit more about the whole thing. Well, to Andy's credit, Andy CR's credit, it, that there were definitely forks in the road where that, where that probably could have happened, but he always stood by me and the idea of us making this thing together, which I am eternally grateful for. And it, I'm not even in the conversation probably before we get to the Lonely Island, if that doesn't happen. Um, so it was really about going in, you know, with arms linked kind of in, in lockstep. And then I, you know, a lot of work had gone into the script. We had talked a lot again, cause we were wanting to go make this, like it felt like a movie on the page and we had just been thinking about it for so long that we, you know, in terms of music, just in terms of some gags in, in the movie, camera moves were written in there and stuff, you know, like we were prepared because it, the idea was to go out and raise money. Like I, I guess you could call it a pitch. I just, it was all about acting like the, even though this wasn't the case, like we were going there to get the train out of the station, but like the train was leaving the station and that's what I was kind of telling myself. It's like, let's, let's get some cool people on board. So that conversation was really just like, you read the script and it was even a challenge before we met with them. Andy described other people kind of having ideas of what to do with it. And there were bad, you know, there were the bad ideas of like, this is a huge studio movie and like, let's water it down. You know, it was like, or, it was or, very or much Ni- a, Niles is too unlikable or Sarah's too unlikable. Yeah. Backstory. Like who are, you know, let's, just, let's, let's, let's hold people's hands through this, through this movie. And I think, a lot of the energy that was in there, which is in contrast to that, was what attracted them to it in the first place, The Lonely Island. So it was just about kind of just like describing the visual approach, you know, describing like tonally what we were after, because it's not not even like a, you know, a straightforward uh, Lonely Island mo- or a Lonely Island movie in that sense, a traditional Lonely Island when movie. When they were talking um, to you, was it with the idea that Andy would play Niles or was it just in the idea that they yeah, produced it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them, them producing and Andy playing Niles. And once, and we, and going in knowing that, you think about it, obviously, the, you know, whatever it was, like the week ahead of time and you're like, oh shit, this is, the perfect person to play Niles. I'm not even like having to say that to, to sell myself or sell the movie. It's thinking about the movies that we love and what the best possible version of this movie was, which is thinking about Eternal Sunshine and Punch Drunk Love, Jim Carrey, Adam Sandler, goofball comedians doing serious, more serious performances or deflated performances driven by pathos and not necessarily like the goofball comedy that they're, they're known for and subverting their persona and then thinking about Sandberg, you know, who for me was, you know, a descendant of those dudes, just in, in like the in kind of the style of comedy and then the hierarchy and being like, oh shit, this is, this could be his Eternal Sunshine or Punch Drunk Love. Our movie's way different, you know, it's a, not comparing them. It's just, there's more hard comedy. There's all, all kinds of different elements in ours, but uh, it was easy to talk about in that way. And then thinking about who a Sarah could be, casting like a more traditionally trained actress, someone like Miliotti, who has Broadway experience and dramatic experience and like what, what the two hander could look like at the core of that movie. And then just talking about not shooting it like a comedy, you know, like shooting it in a kind of a more sophisticated way and keeping it grounded and real, but also giving room for like absurd flourishes. And it, it was really just kind of sharing our excitement, getting them as excited as we were. And they were seeing it in the same way off the page. So immediately it was like, I don't, Andy had great notes in that meeting, Sandberg, just about some script stuff, the third act, like third act stuff, changing that 
kind of significantly to like accelerate the movie and really just kind of take it into the stratosphere, like Sarah making a decision to find a way out of the loop that changed significantly. But like, other than that, there wasn't like the shorthand was already there, which was really cool. Um, And I think in terms of why they were like, Hey, who the fuck was that guy? Are we down with him directing the movie? I think Andy being supportive of me helped the fact that like, we were seeing the same version of the movie helped. And then the fact that they started out making stuff together as friends and came up that way helped too, you know? So we got super lucky. It went really well. We left and then didn't really know what to expect after that. I just remember standing in the parking garage with Andy and, and both of us just saying, well, I guess like wonderful ever hear from them again. That went really well. I don't know. Like, did it go well? I don't know. Well, how was it supposed to? And then, you know, they call back a couple of days later and, say that they're they're down uh, to get to work and then it became it was for so long it was Andy and I in a room trying to make each other laugh and make each other and and kind of exercise our creative demons and our personal uh, issues in relationships and in life our existential confusion and I feel like that room just got bigger once the Lonely Island came on board and it was a really fun summer of just like making the script sing and making the vision more precise and like the and them giving us permission to to like think even bigger than we had kind of organically started to think right. after this you movie change the slingshot into, into a crossbow like movie with things like that yeah shit like that you know it's like we there was like <laughs> the first i remember the first draft after we started working with them there was just it was like yeah you thought you thought big but like I'm never going to be able to like afford crocodiles <laughs> in a pool. So like, maybe like, like let's come up with some alts for that. Yeah. Pull it back a little bit. Well, uh, can I, um, I, all the success stuff is awesome, but I know our listeners are going to, are just like, and including me just like dying to know more about like, like how you sold yourself. Um, and so I guess a couple more specific questions is I know you guys made like a, an AFI thesis film together, the Duke based on the memoir. I'm the Duke by JP Duke. Uh, obviously like a comedy that kind of, it seems probably takes itself seriously a little, like kind of tonally in the world of a smart comedy, right? Was that something you guys showed them? Did you bring lookbooks? Was there like, aside from just talking about the movie, did you have to show them any previous work to sell them on you? I think they had seen that short, but that short really is not relevant in any way. I don't think to, I mean, it, it, it's, there is a point of view directorially in that but it's not like a sample for a movie like palm springs i don't think i just i i think it showed that i maybe it it fooled them into thinking that i knew what i was doing but like and 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 it was out there and it was weird and there's a playfulness and and like and 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 like a really weird take on narrative pov and being inside the head of a character and like the, the the protagonist is flawed and deluded in a very different way but like i i think they had seen that but it really was just like talking about the movie talking about what this movie and and also acknowledging I I didn't I walked in there with confidence but I I wasn't deluded you know into thinking that they should give a shit about me or that like my my previous work had anything in common with this I think that was important too was just you know acknowledging that and then also proving that I knew how to bring it off the page um I had we had a sizzle reel and a lookbook and some music stuff but I don't even I remember I even walked in with like all that stuff, but also just like a bag of books, uh, like a lot of like how to pitch, a lot of how to pitch a movie. Like, yeah, on. I was like, hold on, I need to like look at my. I highlighted this, but just like photo books, you know, like uh, some Ryan McGinley photos uh, for just like 
human figures in the landscape and the texture and the light. And again, thinking, you know, wanting to demonstrate that it's like, no, we're not, this movie is not going to be exclusively cross shot and we're not going to be like swinging for jokes. It's going to be like a very um, deliberately constructed thing and in, in, in a ride, you know, but we didn't even get to those. I remember like feeling like a fucking idiot because I walked out afterwards. I had to like get my bat, like my bags of shit. <laughs> like, I guess maybe like, it does make me think of a tiny tangent. There's the story that Will Ferrell thought for his his interviews with Lauren Michaels that he he had this bit where he had a briefcase full of like fake money that he was gonna leave. <laughs> yeah, <heard> yeah. <laughs> but then uh, he chickened out like multiple times. Like he kept bringing it back, but then then taking the <laughs> the briefcase back back with him. So. <laughs> So that's a, it's a similar idea. I think, though, uh, you know, I think that yeah. maybe the thing that yeah. we're ignoring and, and you guys back me up on this, you know, it's not like that phone call was like, hey, we're greenlit. We're going to go make this movie right away. So there are basically every day is an audition for kind of both of you. Right. Like they're working together, but they could rewrite you. They could hire somebody new or they could, could lose just drop, interest. Lose interest. Yeah. yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, they weren't going to because there was nothing really signed at that point and there was no money being exchanged. They weren't going to be hiring anyone new, uh, but it was still like you got the call, like they want to do it. And we went in and met him, like we went into their office on like a, it was a Monday. There was me, Max, Andy, Keith, and, and Becky, who was main producer on it all. And we just like went page by page with notes and just like the, the big, that was like our big long day of, of notes. Um, and then uh, I went in, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to, now it's my, my step up at bat. Like now here, here's, we'll see, they'll see how I take notes uh, and I, and how fast I turn things around and whatnot. And I had to draft with them. I think it was on that Friday. And then this is where like, I, I could tell, oh, this is, that this this train is moving. They actually really do want to make it because I sent it, you know, sent it off Friday at some time, and then Saturday morning I get a text from Becky saying, "Read it, love it. Come in on Monday. We're gonna we, let's uh, go for another round." So like, that's how fast that moved. Part of this is I, I was having a baby, or like, yeah, we were my wife and I were having a baby like in two months. Uh, so like, it was, like I gotta get kinda, this done. This, this kind of rough <laughs> deadline. We yeah. knew that Andy Andy had like a window of time, you know, the one year from then that like he could actually film it out be after you know after Brooklyn so like it was a lot of proving ourselves but I we the energy in the room every time we talked to them was like they want to make this it's just that I didn't get the sense that they were doing this with like a bunch of other people uh like a bunch of other scripts I, I got the sense that Andy's he was pretty picky with what he wants to do and you see he didn't star in that many movies um and so once the script got to like that point and also like they this creative cocoon that they had made like, there was, it was just all trust. Uh, I, I know I don't think I ever I never got the I never got worried I was going to be taken away. Uh, no one ever cleared I, their throat and asked for a new joke pitch. Like. No, yeah, it's, uh, and and then yeah, once yeah, once we got the once the script was like where all of us were happy, and then we went out for financing, and then you know that's the whole other side of this thing. But uh, so while you're in this development phase with Lonely Island, are you guys getting paid anything? No, no. And so are you? And, and you. But I mean, like, you know, to, to, in all fairness, like they, they weren't making many money off of this either at that time yet, as well. Like, I mean, they have other things. So it's, it was, there was, it wasn't any kind of like a. There's no a, option or anything like that. That's that's. I feel like that would have been a, a like the lesson I learned even going into that first meeting with them was to like, oh, this is never going to happen. So like, don't be nervous and suspend any expectation. We didn't even expect to get that meeting. Spend that expectation go into the, the the development process with them, making it better. Don't have any expectation this is going to move forward. So like suspending all expectations and then also just like not 
putting the business before the creative. Like I feel like if either of us had had said at that point, like, well, we should get something on paper, then that would have killed the vibe. You know, it totally would have killed the vibe. And it would have been different if we felt like there wasn't an urgency on their end to make it real. Um, right, but, but what about they, your they reps? Were totally... Like, were your managers or anyone saying, "Let's put something on paper"? Or... Well, I mean, on the on the rep side of it all, uh, that's that's the it's the funny thing because you know Max and I we both graduated from AFI at the same time, and you you end with like a like a pitch fest kind of thing um, that's like you feel special, and I mean you realize no one cares about you in this world. Uh, but uh, at that time, like we were surrounded by a bunch of students as, as just like in this industry surrounded by or in this city and country and world a bunch of people who are like i gotta get a manager i gotta get an agent that's gonna solve everything and you go through this whole phase where like you'll take anybody you're like you're trying to sell yourself to them well what was nice about this is i didn't have it i knowing again no one gave a shit about us on the on the agent front and some you know some agents that would do like the whole hip pocketing thing or whatever uh like that but mostly that no one really cared and then all of a sudden, once we took the movie out and it's like a, a packaged movie with Sandberg and Lonely Island producing, like now, okay, now UTA invites us in independently and they're pitching themselves to us, which is the way it is supposed to be. It's not supposed to, it's not supposed to be that like you have writers that are begging managers and agents to like, come, come help me out. So therefore at this time, I didn't have, I didn't have any, neither of us had agents. We I had a manager that he, he did like the, one of our, our agents that he reps both of us um now he was a part of that process and getting it up to uta but i didn't know we didn't know who this guy was for until you know a, a year later but, but your manager is who got you the meeting with lonely island yes he's I mean, he's the one who's he's the one who got that whole ball rolling and he's you know it's there's so much of this of this industry that is handshake agreement kind of things but not even especially now now not even handshake agreements just a, a, right a, uh, a, elbow a, sometimes an elbow bump or a... yeah and the thing is like it's because I think the bigger thing is, let's let's say that uh, the question is why would there have to be a? Uh, um, this is not throwing it back at you. I'm just asking myself why would there have to be a, some kind of option agreement? Because if they don't want to do the movie, if it's not good enough for them, then they should not be tied to it anyway. In the same way, like we should not be legally tied to do something we don't want to do. So it's better to just it's just the same kind of agreement that Max and I had, where it's like. We want to make this movie together. Let's make it the best it can be. We made it the best that we can make it be when it was just us two. And then all of a sudden now there's, you know, four more people in this room together that also want to make the movie. Now let's all of us put our minds together and let's make it the best we can be. And then when it, we take it as far as we can, let's let's try to find money and, and make it. Right. And I guess the value is that they're putting their own time into it. And they're not just like some random guy that's like, oh, I make movies. Let's make this movie together there. You know that they have a track record. I had been I had just on the like the, on the indie film side, I had had enough, had enough experiences after AFI where I was like kind of at the starting line on certain things. Nothing that I loved as much as as this. And that was as personal and like and that was as passionate about as this. But like I had been down the road with enough people producers whatnot where you're like oh this is not <laughs> give a shit about this you know what i mean and that and, and and learn those lessons about like the putting the business ahead of like the creative at the wrong time that this just felt complete that with them it just felt completely different that you kind of had a a trust in an, in, in an implicit you know kind of like understanding and passion for the project that you would they were protective of us from the get-go because they're protective of the project. Yeah, and and to, to to add just to add to that, I think like I'm when Max and I went in there for that first 
meeting after we've already agreed to work after like the first like notes meeting we both were like our expectations of the movie getting made was still like who the fuck knows what's gonna happen what we do know is we're gonna spend the day with comic geniuses that's there's a there's a value to that and get you know get when becky sent me that text you know 12 hours after i sent her the script the saying she read it and loved it this is coming from like dealing with a lot of producers who are not as experienced as Becky and some who are more experienced than, than she is who, who will take you know two to four to six weeks to read something like there is so having someone like that having that person like Becky who is like an all-star producer like I saw immediately there like oh there's a there's a, a whole education I'm forgetting here so like and 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 being in a room watching like just you know that, them giving their time you see how I, I, I feel like I can see the real like value of their brains and how like you know 12 hours in a room with me is is, is equivalent to like five minutes of, of ideas in a room with any one of them um, and so whether the movie is going to be made or not we're we're learning so much throughout this whole process I think it's it's really awesome to hear and the reason I'm like digging in so so much is because I do think we have a lot of listeners who are like have been kind of burned or like are afraid like well why am I gonna take their notes and write their draft if they're not paying me anything and like why am I gonna go spend two months of my time while they're just working on all their other projects people are gonna steal my ideas like you know like they're rich why can't they pay us to do this work all of that stuff or and even also to your point Andy of like there being like some of those lower level you know, agents and managers who would hardball like that, who would like give you guys a hard time to be like, well, where's the money? Then the movie goes away. It goes away. You know, they're like, fuck this. Yeah. Um, but we've heard a lot of great stories, like success stories. We had this guy, Sam Zwiebelman, who he did Pen15, that show. And all of his projects are like, he found people that he likes to work with and they are excited about something together. And it's a lot less about like, well, this producer is going to give me a chance, you know? And it's more about a vibe. And I like love what you said, Max, about that feeling. And I mean, obviously, maybe you guys were taking a smaller risk because the people you were working with were no are known people, you know. But um, but I think to what you said, Andy, too, is super valuable to remember that, like, no one's making money on any of this stuff until the movie's made. So, like, if they're follow the people that are passionate and excited and are making your thing better with you um, as opposed to just like trying to figure out the, the deal making of it all um, is like a good, really good lesson. Yeah. I'd say anytime that it's a perfect example and that like we had this movie with really established people and there were no signatures or deals or anything made prior to us getting financing and getting all that stuff in, in play. And so that's, I'd say, and same thing for managers and agents, you don't, there's no paperwork that you're signing there. Uh, you're not signing contracts, any, that therefore be weary of of any any young produce any producer you're working with that like wants you to sign like and uh, wants you to sign any kind of like option agreement or uh, shopping agreement. All those things that just they they smell of rotten fish and it smells of desperation and like you don't that's that's not necessary at all. The energy is just going into the wrong place. You know, I feel like it was for so long before meeting the Lonely Island, it was like, it was all about the hustle trying to get the movie off the ground in a way or any, like any, any movie off the ground. And then once it was a relief to then start working with them, which gave the movie life, but also it was like, Oh, you have license to be creative again. You know, like it's, it's, you could stop 
worrying about that as much. Had you guys tried to get other movies off the ground before this? Or was this kind of your first go at the feature? Not together. I had like, I had other, I was hip pocketed and had like other random stuff come my way. But everyone imploded for diff- for really stupid reasons, you know, and that's it's they weren't worth realizing. And you know, I I, uh, I don't know if you talked about like right after AFI or like the one I love or anything. Or not really. Because that that was one of the things that. Uh, Does that the year the same year you guys went with Charlie? No, no, no it, we, it was we were later. It was, but it was during our second year there. Or I think it's twenty fourteen that Charlie and um, Justin later came and screened it at our school. Uh, and I think I think I think they had graduated eight years earlier, and wh- uh, they both talked about how like they similar kind of story they got, but they're like in you know just stuck in development on bigger projects, things that were like this is going to be it. Then they didn't it didn't go, and it, it sounded like there was one big one, but uh, then five or six years later they're like out of school and they have they don't have anything to show for it when they were like you know they were supposed to come out and make stuff, and they said like you know that I'm going to paraphrase it, but a uh, like the the biggest most important piece of advice they can give is like just go out and make something that you can feasibly make um because he said that like after all that you know five years later after just you know nothing happening it was out of a general with mark duplass that he and duplass is like yeah just you know what do you have anything we can go do like you know on a, on a on a nothing budget and so that's what they said to us is like just go make something don't wait for uh permission to make it and then i i think that i think max and i might have been like two of the only people that really took that to heart and we're like okay i mean that makes sense and we uh, you know we had made two shorts together at afi and we loved working together and so it was that you know the, the week after we graduated that we headed out to palm springs and we're like what what is this tiny thing going to be um and that's why like i didn't have any ideas for any other i, I was kind of more I, more tv focused anyway I was uh, and I was working on a show that whole time too, like right after school. So like I didn't, I didn't have other feature scripts. I was really, really, truly trying to get off the ground. And so this became the thing that no one was asking for us to write. Uh, no one was asking for it to exist. I could never tell you. I could never answer the question as to why now. Why should this exist? Oh, um, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was just thinking. Because it's like you see the movie. I mean, why now? You should have been like COVID. People want to see something funny yeah. in their living room. Yeah, yeah of course. We're all yeah, reliving the same day over and over again. Yeah. Like, 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 like I would know that in 2015 or 16 right. or 17 or whatever it is. And that's like, that's why the, the why now question, I, I get it to a, to a point. But also, I, I think that like we tell people why now when it comes out. Should, I don't know. I don't feel like it should be up to us to explain it to somebody because what now is is going to change in one to two to five years. It takes a couple of years to make a movie. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about your lives now, right? Like the like kind of maybe fast forwarding through like Palm Springs, you know, you guys made it. Yeah, everybody loved it. You know, it was a big, big sale out of Sundance. And I think that a lot of people, myself included, looked at it as like a nice symbol of the fact that there are movies in this price range that are, you know, unique IP. Yeah, star-driven certainly, but like like a comedy like we all presumably wanted to make and grew up dreaming of making right like you all of your reference points i think are probably in common with myself and a lot of other listeners right and those movies are fewer and further between now right but palm springs is a thing that you guys got made do you feel like looking at the landscape now and i know covid makes it especially complicated but like in terms of what your next projects will be what you're looking towards the future do you feel like 
the movie has you know helped with uh, with what scope you're you're looking to approach next, right? Like you're not thinking about another hundred thousand dollar mumblecore movie. I you know that Max is directing an action adventure film starring Jason Momoa. Sure. Right? I was setting him up for that, Oren. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I just didn't want you to think we didn't read your bio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 also philosophically thinking about what the what the future holds. You know, it's a it's a weird year, man. It's 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 hard. Uh, we should also mention we're recording this on Friday, as the election results are just barely maybe solidifying now. So yeah, at the at the, at the end of the pandemic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. By the time it, we're done recording, the whole world might be different. Yeah, in and, 15 and, and, and Palm Springs premiered at the the, fin- the last film festival um, in human history. No, 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 no. <laughs> and, and, that was this and, year, though, right? Yeah, Friday, one twenty-seven p.m. Dispatch from the uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> crazy and, and and had the the biggest sale just before. Like you have companies laying off people left and right. It was so it's a very like so uh, I'm, I'm so happy that Max and I have been able to like kind of navigate this together like and wh- what that could potentially bring and like what kind of projects we choose because then out out of that like you yeah diff- a lot of different things are kind of thrown at you so yeah wh- how, how do you the core of your question is like how do you make that decision of like what to what to kind of focus on um, yeah I I, yeah. I believe that no matter what it is like actually no I I, I what the movie, what Palm Springs was, was two kids playing in a sandbox. Ultimately, and we had like a. a Wait, are you up. the two kids, or are the characters the two kids? Uh, no, it's it's we're the two kids. But then you know, yes, those are they are by proxy then few. But like, we're we're two kids playing a sandbox or a bathtub, whichever one. Uh, but <laughs> now, let's let's stick with the sandbox. And we had you know some toys. It wasn't like a fancy sandbox. And I think that like you know the very simple answer is like with the limited tools we had or li- limited toys we had in that sandbox, we did something that we we had fun doing and went into our little fantasy world having fun doing that. I think everything that I'm that I, we've been looking for, at least I mean from that I've been doing since then is like now it's a it's a bigger sandbox, but like with some more toys, but it's still like the same the idea engine I guess behind it. Uh, the same same creative engine, I guess, behind it. It's like ultimately, I still is one. Of, I'm still playing in the sandbox with toys, but now, like, now I have the option of like pouring some some water on it, so now I can I can shape things and I have some buckets in there too. I'm I'm really I think I'm into the sandbox because I just we just got my daughter a sandbox um, last weekend. So uh, watch out I'm, for cats. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been having to cover it every night because um, <laughs> we have a cat too. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 just getting into a bigger sandbox. So. You know, the, the only bummer, about, I guess, about the whole Palm Spring process, I don't really, I don't regret any of it, but the only, if I'm watching a movie, the only things that, like, ever come into my mind were like, oh, if we had, you know, twice the amount of days or twice the amount of money, like, that could have been a little more refined or whatever, like this, or we could have done, we could have had 50 more extras there to really make that sing, that dance part sing a little more, like, and we're now thinking, like, in whatever project I'm on, it's like, okay, let's say I do have that the twice as much money or twice as many days um it just allows allows for a little more creative freedom it's weird because i think from a writer and, and you know, max you'll answer this but from a writer and pers- and director perspective it's probably quite different because the writer just keeps writing right and you can work on you can be working on tv and have your feature on the side and kind of doing this thing but sometimes the director needs to be a little more singularly focused on what's the next thing I'm going to spend a year or two of my life on, you know, would you agree with that, Max, or not really? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd agree that it, the fundamentals stay the same in terms of working with like-minded people, you know, finding finding the joy in it, 
regardless of scope. And then also like, per, I'm just after doing stuff that feels different um, in, in familiar forms now. Like that's kind of what we just, I at least discovered the way this movie was received. It was like a very familiar form, familiar story, familiar template, genre, whatever. And people responded to the way it was subverted in spots. So that is something that I could kind of apply to projects I'm thinking about on a bigger scale. Um, and it's it's the same way. It's it's the, the the toy. There's just more toys, and you can dream a little bigger. But in terms of just like workload and projects, it's it is different directorially because you're never quite sure what's real or not, or, or you know when you. And it's something I'm learning. You know, it's um and th- I I really am not spiritual about much, but I'm spiritual about just the way that projects fall into line. You know, so it's you kind of have to you have to be nimble and you got to think on your feet in terms of how you allocate your time and your creative energy. But, you know, you mentioned the the big legendary movie. That's something that is a super grounded human story in the middle of it, you know, and I never thought I would want to go do something like that, but it's something that I responded to on a gut level, you know, with the pieces in play too. So it's like, that's how I've continued to think about projects is just, does this, can I get excited about it? You know, is that, and, and it's the thing, it's, it's, it's about realizing what that kernel is and that kind of like seed of, of an idea and then protecting that at, at all costs, you know? And then it's also worth thinking about like, is it worth, like you're saying, years of my life to protect that thing? <laughs> you know, like, will I, will I die on that, on that hill, on that sword or whatever it is? Yeah. But I, I guess from like my point of view as someone who did not make the blockbuster of the summer, like I, I, it seemed and tell, and I'm sure I'm wrong, but it seems like you went from a place of, you know, both of you of uh, trying to, raise $50,000 to make this movie because nobody cared about it and you couldn't even answer why now or anything. There was no one attached to now you getting like a few different projects that are have paths to financing that you just get to kind of fi- figure out which is the one you're most excited about. It's right. That's the difference between begging for an opportunity and ha- being handed, being able to choose an opportunity, right? Yeah. We feel very fortunate to be in that, this position and it would be nice at some point, if I, a couple years from now, once we once we get other things off our plate, I would be actually curious to write a spec script or to see if I was like, if, let's let's say Max and I got back into a room. Let's say we went actually let's we went out to Palm Springs again and had a lost weekend. Like, what? Yeah, maybe Joshua Tree next. Yeah, time. and and if we were to try to do the same thing again, like not not make this movie, but just like let's come up with something together that we're not gonna go pitch to get permission to do it that we're not going to try to sell like beforehand. Let's say let, let's just something that all right on spec, what would that look like? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, but I, but, but that thought actually, it does make me excited about like, what would, what would that be? I don't know. Uh, and you know, to be honest, like the, the, the movies that we grew up loving and the directors that we grew up following, um, I, I have no idea how those movies got made to be honest, like from the, but were they all on? Were they all spec scripts? For like, but I, I don't know, Max. Maybe you can answer. But they like, were just like, making the, more movies. Like that's that's the making thing. More like all that. All those ideas are, are have navigated and migrate or migrated back into into the episodic world. You know, there's like no like mid budget character driven. Except like, for Palm not. Springs, you guys. That's what was so <laughs> exciting. <laughs> but also, less people were making movies, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Not like yeah. Everyone yeah. had a camera in their pocket. Yeah, well, this is awesome, guys. Thanks for so much for talking to us about Palm Springs. I mean, I know you said sometimes you wish you had twice as much money or twice as many extras or something, but from my point of view, just like as a viewer, to me, it kind of felt like everything 
felt right to me. I've been to Palm Springs a lot and I feel like you guys totally captured Palm Springs. And there is some like a sparseness to that place. You know, it's a literally a desert. So I don't know. I, uh, from my point of view, like they, you had exactly the right number of extras, you know, that bar does feel kind of like sleepy and they're the ones that energized it, you know? And so I don't know. I've, we really love the movie. Yes. So yeah, super great guys. I, I do have one question on, on that, that tip. Was there ever a moment where you, either of you guys were like, ah, dang, if we were doing the hundred thousand dollar version of this movie, like this wouldn't be such an issue. Like, uh, union problems or, or, you know, like just safety issues or whatnot. Not safety issues is a bad example, but you know, like sometimes there's a little bit of red tape that comes with uh, a bigger project where there are ever moments where you're like, yeah, back in college, every we would have just every, grabbed a, a camera and done this every, every day, you know, <laughs> every day. But the good thing is you like, at the end of the day, it goes back to, to Sandberg and, and Keeve and our, our DP, our amazing DPQ too. And even our, every department head came at it from the same place that we came at it from initially. It was like, it was scrappy as hell. And it, we stole tons of stuff, you know, always in a safe way. And we were always, you know, we shot the movie in 21 days and got more than was even on the page somehow. So everybody was coming at it with the same, you know, this is a hundred thousand dollar movie mentality, which I think helped a lot and then my, my one last question just for our listeners i think it'd be really helpful to know when you're directing jk simmons like if he doesn't like your direction does he tell you it's not his tempo <laughs> yeah that just that, kidding, that, that shot in the, that just shot kidding, in the movie with him with him in the whip yeah actually that was like my body cam <laughs> after giving him a note and, uh, Perfect, really yeah. no, that guy is like the that guy is the best he's this like the smartest the implicit he's just the best i can't say enough great things but yeah, he kind of like seems that, like a guy character that doesn't yeah. need to be directed you're just like and action yeah. perfect oh great Let's yeah move on. Oh, yeah you, you get you you do it and then you pretend to talk to the grip about like a lighting issue as you're coming up with a note for him because he did it perfectly the first time and and, and more creatively and imaginatively than you could have sometimes and you had amazing like, deals on Sorry, home insurance point. yeah state <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah yeah awesome guys well this was great we could talk to you for uh many many more hours but uh and you you're both very busy so we'd love to just jump into unpaid endorsements unpaid endorsements so mine i think we're all kind of in a in a political mindset and um it, I kind of was like looking for, I had a lot of fun watching like scary movies during all of October. And I thought, well, maybe it's fun to watch some political movies. So I've got two. Um, it's a great double header. If you give yourself the, the time, uh, I just watched all the president's men for the first time, which is great. And, um, you know, about the Watergate, uh, conspiracy and, and, and rather the, the reporting and uncovering of Watergate and then Dick, which is the comedy about it. Um, they're great pieces that you could watch together. You know, it's kind of like uh, the very serious, like, this is reporting. We have to get to the truth version. And then Dick is kind of like the the retelling um, if uh, Kirsten Dunst and I can't remember who the other woman is, but like two friends, basically teenage girls are actually deep throat. It's pretty great. So, uh, yeah, I, so. I, I've, I haven't seen Dick, but I've heard that's one of the movies that like pops up, especially more recently in the past like five years. I've seen like, that was an underappreciated movie at the time, uh, and I, you know, maybe maybe that's what I'll do this weekend. To be honest, prob- I probably won't look at anything having to do with politics for the next uh, probably three days. To be sure, <laughs> yeah, a little palate cleanser isn't a bad idea. You know, in Sheep's Clothing, this vinyl store, maybe the vinyl store downtown. I don't know how I found it. I think it was on downtown LA. 
downtown LA. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a source for like vinyl and, and analog culture in general, but they also have like a listening room, like an online listening room where they just play deep cuts of all kinds of different stuff, like old funk world music around the world. And that's just been very cool. And just discovering new music, which is all with, without having to go through like a Spotify or an Apple music. It's like a very well curated kind of like, a homegrown uh, resource. So that's been, that's been fun just to have on in the background while working and then just to go on deep dives on, on deep cuts in sheep's clothing. Hi-Fi, I think is the website. Matt's really into vinyl too. So (laughs) I'm not even the vinyl guy. I just was like, this is new. I don't know any of this, this music. And it's like, it's, it's a nice feeling. It's nice to take the, some of the like decision making of like skipping around like oh what do i yeah. in the mood to listen to now just like put that in in well uh well-trained hands is nice for sure totally there's another thing that max and i are doing together that has really uh got me more into vegetables and <laughs> <laughs> bi- bi- yeah, yeah. Bio- biodiversity and the importance of uh of of restoring biodiversity yeah. to human diversity that's uh, that's as deep as you're going um, come on and uh but uh my 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 five-year anniversary last weekend so I, I bought um some of these big planters and um and a bunch of plants that like to just so we can start growing our own our own vegetables in our in our backyard um partially as a thing just par- partially inspired by this this other movie we're doing um so i can just live it and breathe it a little more but also like uh just gaining a, a really realizing how fucked we are as a planet. Um, and this year has really past eight months is really like, you know, a lot of self-reflection. Um, I've brought on a lot of self-reflection. And so that's part of also my new pursuit of, of growing my own garden. And also, you know, to celebrate five years, you know, we've grown this life together, this love, then two children. And now like, let's continue growing things together and just to give myself something new to learn. And I'm, I know there's probably people listening to this, like you're, you're just learning how to plant or a tomato right now. Like you're an idiot. And yeah, I'm, 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 I'm guilty. I'm a total idiot. Um, and I don't, I don't know how to take care of strawberries or basil or uh, rosemary or broccoli or tomato plants, but God damn it. I'm trying. sounds like a good salad. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> don't that's... plant anything in your sandbox. Don't get them mixed up. No, that's what I, that's, in, that's why in the sandbox, sandbox. That's what I'm trying a new version of, of gardening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Gardening is it's quite fun. Um, strawberries are much more difficult than tomatoes. Is my experience. I'm um, finding, I'm finding all of them are, are hard cause they're all dying, uh, oh, one weekend. So you are, I think potentially planting them in the wrong season. I don't know if it's tomatoes season right now. Squash, man. Cool. Well, I have like kind of two random tips. I just had a shoot the other day. It's kind of like a okay budget commercial shoot, but we had to do a few things last minute and kind of make these visual gags that I was telling the production uh were probably going to be impossible on our schedule and one of them was we needed a unicorn inside a coffee shop and the other one we just needed to make a drink just look insane in in a certain way and we kind of had two really easy solves for them that were not too expensive that i just thought i'd share um and probably most people would think of them pretty obvious but like 
Every once in a while, I forget about dry ice, um, you know, and it's just like you could just buy dry ice, not anywhere, but look up where you can buy it. And it's pretty cheap. And you just put it in things. We also did like a little Halloween thing my, for my family and we got some dry ice. And it's just like the coolest thing you've ever seen if you put dry ice into anything like moderately warm. So um, did you if you're feed looking dry ice to a pony to turn it into a unicorn? <laughs> yes. No, but for the unicorn, we were I was like, what? <laughs> unicorn, like a horn, like a horse, like a and then someone's like, well, you know, my, my friend had a birthday party for their kids and they brought a unicorn there. And like sometimes when you need just some random thing, like an animal or something, if you instead of thinking of the production version of it and think of the kids birthday party of it version of it, you can get something really affordable rather than um, going to a handler and like all of that yeah. stuff. Right. Yeah, like yeah, my yeah. neighbor had for his birthday, he had like a he threw a petting zoo like they brought all these goats and rabbits and things to his driveway. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I know everyone knows about this, but I, I just sometimes I have to remind myself like on a production, if you're having trouble paying for things or figuring out how to do them, sometimes see if like a different industry has solved that problem and they might be, do it. And that, our unicorn came with a horn. He had rainbow booties. Um, you know, it's just like he's like pre pre unicorn for us which has saved a lot of time and effort for us. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much. Uh, if listeners want to keep track of what you guys are working on next, where might they find you? Yeah, I have a website that's pretty straightforward. Aren't you um, cool, man? <laughs> yeah. Is your is your real um, is your real on there? No, it's just our it just is our it's like a short short bio and a poster. And that's Max M A X B A R B A K O W dot com. Hey, cool. That's it. Well, awesome. Well, if you want to uh, learn about all the stuff that we talked about on the show, you can go to justshootitpod.com. We'll have the links to the things that we have referenced. Uh, and you can hit us up on social media at justshootitpod across all platforms. I'm at Mr. Madden. I'm at O'Kaplan on Instagram. I'm at SmiteyPileg on Twitter. You can email us any questions to justshootitpod at gmail.com. And this episode was edited by Sarah Weirda, our social media wizard is Derek Aiello our webmaster is Ewan Williams and the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar and we'll catch you next time thanks guys thanks everyone hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.